Welcome to Bird Banter with Boreal Bruce, episode 35. And here we are once again with uh, myself and Ben McPherson of BMAC Studios putting together another podcast. And we're on the shores of the Blanche River. And um, I just thought I'd give start off with an update of what birds we have around. And this um, the temperature here today on... Um, February the 4th feels more like March the 20th. It's uh, plus two. We've lost a whole lot of snow. Um, and uh, we had snow buntings that were just about to start coming to uh, corn that we've been putting out. Um, but the snow has been melting very rapidly. And uh, so far this year, we've only been able to catch two snow buntings. Um, we were catching them in December, but, um, all that snow load is gone, but we do have, uh, evening grosbeaks, pine grosbeaks are just starting to move into the area. Uh, we were, we're catching American tree sparrows still, which should be, uh, usually they're long gone by November and, um, and, uh, evening grosbeaks numbers seem to be pretty good and there's lots of common red poles around. Uh, there's been some massive flocks of Bohemian waxwings in Haleybury and New Liskard. And uh, someone just actually sent me a picture that I should uh, get posted soon of a leucistic um, Bohemian waxwing, which um, often people use the term albino. Um, so it's kind of cool seeing this uh, very frosty uh, looking Bohemian waxwing. So uh, we have lots of uh, stuff to get to on the episode, so we'll get uh, right to it. Um, one of the highlights of the year, every year for me, is when we do the Christmas bird count for kids. Uh, we did that um, just uh, before the kids went back to school at the end of December. And uh, once again, Dennis Peaty from Cougar Farms came out to do a uh, wagon ride uh, led by horses with, uh, with the, the kids. And, uh, and what, he, um, what he did this year was he actually was able to... Uh, with not a tremendous amount of snow, he was actually able to ride uh, with the horses and kids right along the berm. And uh, they went um, along the berm right to the Crick Road entrance and turned around there. Um, we put up a feeder. That was Joanne's idea to get a feeder up there so that the kids, when they're doing the bird count at the turnaround, would have another spot to count birds. Um, and that feeder we're going to get back to in a moment has become... Um, an interesting part of our chickadee research. So, uh, so that day we ended up with, um, uh, with 30 kids. Uh, there were lots of, uh, lots of neat sightings. Um, and we actually, um, started out with, um, uh, we posted that we had room for 20 kids and, uh, we felt sad that, that, uh, those spots, uh, were taken in about half an hour. So we opened it up for another 10 kids and that lasted, about 10 more minutes so um, it's kind of a, um, a shame that we can't have more kids out um, but we have to um, ration supplies so that we need to know uh, because we're making suet as well with the kids and um, but there's just so many kids that can go on the wagon ride so um, so that's why we don't open it up to more but I, I sort of had the feeling that we could have potentially had over 50 or 60 kids out which would have been um, awesome too so it was great so thanks to all the parents that brought their kids out for that it was a lot of fun 
And um, it's a good thing that uh, we had um, hot chocolate for the kids because that day it was quite cold. So by the time they came back from the uh, the trek behind the horses, they were um, they were needing some uh, some heat in their bellies. So so that was that was awesome. Thanks to all the volunteers that helped with that as well. So the um, getting back to that uh, chickadee feeder. So after um, well we're. Clearly, we were hoping to get whatever birds we could attract to the feeders, but chickadees were the first ones to discover the seed, and uh, it only took a couple of days. And while I was watching the chickadees coming to the feeder, I noticed none of the chickadees uh, were banded. So um, in past podcasts, we've talked about the chickadee research that we've been doing. So we've been putting color bands on our chickadees as well as the Canadian Wildlife um, Service Band. Um, and um, at the north end, uh, three years ago, we started color banding the chickadees at the north end a different color than what we were banding the chickadees at our main site on Wilmill Road at our shed nets. And we discovered that the chickadees aren't migrating between the two sites. I think we've had one chickadee from the north end that was seen at our shed nets, which is about um, 2.8 kilometers between the two sites. Um, so when when I started noticing that ch- there were no banded chickadees at the Crick Road site where the we have that feeder, that feeder is um, basically it's 1.6 kilometers from the shed nets, and it's still over two kilometers from uh, where we banned at the north end. So we sort of, um, so we started to think that let's, let's try another color banding combination to see if we start getting, um, where the birds at this Crick Road site might show up. And eventually we sort of thought that we'd start seeing more banded birds at the Crick Road site. So we've, we've banded three times at the Crick Road site. So far we've banded uh, 25 new chickadees. I probably banded for, uh, in those three attempts, we've probably only spent about an hour of actual time with one net up. And um, so far we have caught one chickadee that was banded at our shed nets and uh, none of the chickadees that we've been putting um, these new combination at uh, Crick Road have shown up anywhere yet. Um, so what we're doing is this year, the so every year we put a different color uh, based on the year. And this year we're putting two blue bands on the birds at Crick Road. And we're putting one blue band on the birds at the um, at our shed nets and at the north end of the marsh. We've been there a couple of times and we're putting a red and white band on those birds. And um, so it's just, uh, it's for us, it's just a very... Cool thing. Uh, one of the things I really like about it, I think, is that everybody uh, seems to know and love chickadees, um, and it's going to demonstrate what the range of the chickadees are in the north. And I think there's lots of other potential for this research to show. And it's uh, it's kind of neat because until you start uh, really looking at the distribution of birds, um, you just never know. So. Um, so, so I'm really curious about um, what we're going to see. So um, perhaps at the next podcast, we'll have some interesting results to share about uh, the chickadee banding. 
Alrighty. Um, one of the things that um, it's taken us, we caught so many birds this year uh, that it took us a long time to get the data put into the new banding portal uh, that the banding office wants us to use. And um, I wanted to go over um, our top 20 birds for 2023. So we had our best year of banding ever. We caught 16,221 birds representing 107 species, which was uh, phenomenal. And uh, one of the things I sort of back off of going through these long lists of um, of species that we've banded, um, but I've been talking to uh, more and more people that are banders have been telling me that they've been listening to the podcast. So, um, so I thought I would uh, go through a few more of these sort of lists for the banders and those of you that are listening that aren't as into um, these longer lists will just have to uh, uh, suffer through it. If uh, it's something that really bothers you, get in touch. And uh, I'm always happy to uh, adapt things to what um, people would like to hear. So uh, feedback is always um, appreciated. So let me know. So our top 20 for 2023 uh, the I'm not going to go through all the numbers, but our number one bird for 2023 was snow buntings, where we caught 2,250, which is a, a nice number. Uh, number two is Savannah Sparrow, which is very unusual um, to, for a banding station to have savannas being their number two bird. And we caught a whopping um, 1,364, which was a new record for us. And that is a reflection of the effort that we put in at our grassland site, um, which also, number three, is also a result of that, where we caught 1,226 uh, eastern white-crowned sparrows. So, um, so again, we were catching a lot of those at that grassland site. And rather than give you all the numbers, I'm just going to go through the next... Um, uh, just go through the list to round out the top 20. So number four is White-Throated Sparrow, followed by Red-Eyed Vireo, American Red Start, Purple Finch, Swamp Sparrow. We had uh, Northern Sawit at number nine with 414 captured. Common Red Pole, number 10. Nashville Warbler, followed by Yellow Rump Warblers, Common Yellowthroat, Alder Flycatcher, American Goldfinch, Philadelphia Vireo, Red-Winged Blackbird, Song Sparrow, Tennessee Warbler and Magnolia Warbler. So that rounds out our top 20 birds. In that list, you may have noticed we had five warblers, uh, five sparrow species, and two vireos. So it's kind of cool. Um, we ended up with 832 red-eyed vireos and also um, 272 Philadelphia vireos. So it's kind of uh, neat when uh, the marsh was first being... Um, when they first were doing surveys at the marsh before they flooded it, um, a fellow that was doing it uh, had the notion that we had about a 50-50 ratio of red-eyed vireos and fillies, but uh, we're seeing that we get far more red-eyes than fillies um, at the marsh. So um, so pretty cool um, to see those um, that top 20. Uh, so I thought I would also go through the um, uh, our all-time list of birds, so our top 20. 
uh, for all time is, and I'm not going to give you numbers except for, uh, because someone was at the banding station the other day and was wondering what our top, what our number one bird is. And uh, it turns out it's a common red pole, which isn't too much of a surprise. We've done uh, over 13,000 red poles, followed by snow buntings. And uh, Sawat Al comes in at number three, which when we first started banding Sawats back in 2000, um, if someone told me that Sawats would be in our top 10, I would have, um, I never would have believed them. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, and this next year, I think we're going to be uh, in next September, we'll hopefully catch our 10,000th solid owl. So that's kind of cool. Um, uh, keep going. So number four is American Tree Sparrow. Uh, Eastern White Crown Sparrow at number five. Number six, American Goldfinch. Followed by Yellow Rump Warblers, White Throated Sparrow, American Red Start. Pine Siskin at number 10, Red Winged Blackbird at number 11, Common Yellowthroat, and then Nashville Warbler, Swamp Sparrow at number 15, Purple Finch comes in at 15, Alder Flycatcher at 16, 17 is Wilson's Warbler, which we're very excited to be getting so many Wilsons, Red Eyed Vireo at 18, Chickadees at number 19, just making the top 20, and yellow warblers at number 20 so that's kind of cool um and it's always neat uh, when we go to different um banding uh conferences to see what um what different stations get as their uh top 20 so that just gives people um an indication there of um how we've been doing so that uh, those lists will um uh, will change each year as based on what we get so uh, that sort of gives people an idea of what we have at our station. Um, and one of the things that uh, we're always uh, tempting uh, future volunteers, especially folks that are coming from the States or from Europe, uh, we let them know what species they might expect. So who knows, maybe somebody, um, somebody from Ohio is listening to this and thinks, Wow, the Hilliard Marsh and the Boreal Forest, that's a place where I want to go uh, volunteer. So we'd be delighted to hear from you if that's, uh, if you're sitting there listening to this, uh, just reach out uh, to the website. Um, one of the things that uh, we've been encouraging uh, over the years is um, to get people to do more eBird checklists. And um, we have something that we call the Murphy Bird um, Award. And this year's, uh, we have a junior and senior winner for the eBird Award. So the senior, once again, went to um, a fellow by the name of Serge Andron. Him and Mike Werner seem to duke it out every year. Um, I think Mike has won it seven times, and this is Serge fifth. And this year, Serge uh, submitted uh, 1,861 checklists, um, representing 193 species. The junior award winner was Nelson Morrow, and that's the second year that he's won it in a row. And he submitted 138 checklists and had 95 species. And Nelson made the effort to come out to the marsh a few times to um, to get a few more birds uh, species on his list. And the neat thing is that uh, Nelson is in grade six, so that's uh, well done, Nelson. And um, I see that Nelson's already 
putting out quite a few checklists. So we may have Nelson three-peating this year. And um, prior to that, uh, Nelson's sister, Kristen, won four years in a row. So there's been a morrow on the junior uh, side for six years in a row now. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, One of the things I also wanted to mention is on March the 2nd, uh, Jacob LaChapelle and I will be heading to the Ontario Bird Banding Association annual general meeting. And I, I thought I would just pause for a moment to uh, to s- just describe that the Ontario Bird Banding Association is a umbrella organization that promotes banding in Ontario. Um, it's made up of the... Um, the nine bird banding stations that are in Ontario, plus uh, individual banders and researchers at uh, various uh, universities. So they are basically out to encourage banding and to emphasize best practices. Um, so it's always a great time going to the conference um, and a chance to meet uh, younger uh, uh, banders that are just getting involved, as well as some of the um, seasoned banders, as we like to call ourselves, <laughs> not older banders. Um, so it's always, uh, and the other thing that uh, we, um, there's the speakers that we get are phenomenal kids that are just, I shouldn't say kids, but young uh, people that are finishing their masters and doing presentations. A lot of the presentations involve using MODIS, uh, which is uh, very exciting. If you don't know what MODIS is, I would encourage you to check out um, the MODIS wildlife tracking website. It's all about using um, uh, small devices that are put on the birds that the birds send out a specific uh, signal that gets picked up by a tower. Um, so the birds, while they're migrating, can be tracked by whatever tower that they fly over and the marsh has one. And we're actually in the process of putting a second one up and I just found out that the Temiskaming First Nations is hoping to put one up as well. Um, so that is going to give us fantastic coverage in our area. Uh, we'll have a, a, a modus tower on both sides of Lake Temiskaming, uh, which will allow us to track whatever birds are traveling the Lake Temiskaming corridor. Um, so that is um, that's great. On the birding side, the organization that encourages birding in Ontario is an organization that's called the Ontario Field Ornithologists. And um, the Ontario Field Ornithologists over the last three or four years have been trying to encourage um, more folks and reaching out to folks in northern Ontario. There seem to be a lot of birders in the south. And um, as an organization, they realized that they uh, were hoping to do a better job communicating to birders in the north and drawing them um, sort of into the fold. And um, this year, um, the uh, so the Ontario Field Ornithologist Conference is in September, it's going September 28th, 29th, and 30th. Um, I believe the conference in the south is, I think it was in Point Pelee, but to get northern birders involved, um, they are gathering this year at the marsh, um, so we're looking forward to, we're anticipating that we're going to have um, between 30 and 40, 40 birders from across the north 
that are going to convene at the marsh. Um, and from there, we're going to zoom into the meeting in the south so that we'll be hearing the conference from the marsh. Um, when we are not at the Zoom conference per se, uh, we're going to be doing um, birding trips during each of the days of the conference. Um, the Zoom conference is happening, I think it's from about 6 to 8.30. Um, so we'll be able to Zoom and join the, the main conference. Uh, when the conference is over, we're going to be um, hopefully uh, banning some else with the folks that are... Um, that are at the at the conference at the marsh. So that's um, something that we're uh, really looking forward to. The Ontario Field Ornithologists are also organizing a fall youth banning excursion that's going to be at the marsh this year. And that's going to be um, the weekend of October the 5th. Uh, so we've never done this before, nor has the, uh, the UFO. So that's something that we're uh, really uh, looking forward to um, as well. I know the other thing that there's been discussion of potentially the marsh hosting the Ontario Field Ornithologist Young Birder Camp, um, but that's happening in Algonquin Park this year, and uh, we're still trying to figure out if the marsh has the um, the means and the infrastructure to um, pull that off. So that might be something that we'll see uh, see down the road. Um, the other thing that I would, um, I thought I would do a shout out to a new birding tour group. It's called uh, Jerkite Tours, and uh, that is the uh, passion and brainchild of Alessandra Kite and Kia Jasper. Um, they've just put this, um, uh, this is really fresh, they've just put stuff up on their website. Um, and they're going to be having tours um, throughout the province. They're going to be at Point Pelee in the spring for a number of tours. I know they're taking people through Algonquin Park looking for winter finches in March. And they are also organizing an albanning tour um, at the marsh in um, October. So we're uh, super excited that they picked the marsh as a spot to, um, to bring their tour. Uh, they're both um, extremely passionate um, birders, um, and I, I've enjoyed the time that I've spent with them, and I think anybody that is looking for a uh, tour to learn about birds would um, would be really excited. Uh, Kia actually won the... Um, he did the uh, big year in Ontario and actually ended up with 347 species, which set a new record. Uh, back in 2022 and um, it was kind of cool that the future the sorry the past record holder was Jeremy Bensett who was there the day that um, that Kaya was able to break the record with uh, a tropical kingbird that was seen so that was I thought that was kind of a, a cool story um, and Jeremy was uh, incredibly excited that Kaya was able to uh, beat his record so that I thought was uh, really awesome so that um, look for their Jerkite uh, tour on um, on the World Wide Web. <laughs> okay, the, uh, moving on, uh, just a couple more things that I wanted to talk about. Um, right now, I've been spending a fair bit of time uh, writing funding applications because uh, the Marsh is working on a accessibility project 
so that uh, we realize that, um, especially with the creation of our new building, um, we have our new building is completely accessible uh, to persons with disabilities. So um, we're recognizing that some of our trails uh, need to have some upgrades, especially where the kids do um, our what we call critter dipping at our aquatic station. Um, so that needs we need to invest some money into making that um, um, accessible. We also are really hoping that the trail from our where we ban the birds to um, our hummingbird garden and to where our feeder nets are and the feeders can be accessible. Um, so um, so that's what I've been spending some time doing. It seems um, that it's generating a lot of interest. Um, the Ontario Field Ornithologist has a program where they're trying to uh, promote um, uh, the enabling for birders. Um, we've been in touch with um, a lady in Elliott Lake called Leona Matisse, who is a huge help. She's a uh, advocate for uh, enabled birding spaces. And this all comes to uh, a concept that's referred to as birdability, where we're trying to create spaces where people that are interested in birding, regardless of what uh, impediment there might be, have the opportunity to, uh, to enjoy that um, uh, important part of their life. So that, uh, and the marsh is dedicated to trying to become um, more accessible. So that's, um, that's a big, big step for us. Um, and hopefully we'll have some success with those funding applications. And if there's anybody out there that knows of a fund or an organization that might like to help us out, we would be delighted to, uh, to hear about it. Um, the, one of the, one of the, uh, kind of a shout out to all the work that Ben's been doing with the, uh, at BMAC Studios, uh, we had a inquiry from a PhD student from the University of Florida in a wildlife ecology program, and she wanted our podcast data to uh, see how um, podcasts um, uh, can spread the word um, of scientific communication. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool, and uh, Ben sent all of our data, and I think one of the things that she was trying to ascertain is what countries uh, were listening to podcasts about um, birds and science from um, from North America so I thought um, so that's kind of cool so uh, she promised us some uh, future um, insight into uh, into um, what her findings are going to be so that will be uh, something to look forward to so that's um, a wrap up for uh, episode 35. Uh, I'd like to have a shout out to our to our sponsor, Mama Joe's Diner, with her slogan, "Come here to get gas." Thanks again to our sponsor, Mama Joe, and of course to our wired wizard, Ben McPherson from Vmax Studios. Take care, everybody, and birds to work. The Hillgate Marsh is a non-for-profit organization that can issue tax receipts for donations. We are a membership organization relying on members, drop-in fees, and goodwill. Your support helps us to continue our important research, banding and monitoring birds in the boreal forest. 
Uh, for more information, check out our website or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or simply Google. A pretty cool place to be in nature in northeastern Ontario, the Hillerton Marsh.